Good morning again and welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, we did soccer club, can you tell? <laughs> I just mostly scream at kids. I mean, love lived, baby, love lived. Um, we did have a great week and I wanna get to that in just a minute, but a couple of announcements that I wanted to hit on first. Um, I could not believe it when I got the reminder email midweek during soccer club that this coming Tuesday is Cedar Way and Vision House. I should have been so excited, like good, more good to do in the world. But I was absolutely like, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? And I'm wondering if some of you might feel the same way because many of you who are out on that soccer field also help with Vision Way, at Vision Way and Cedar House. <laughs> Cedar Way and Vision House. Oh boy, I need a nap. I think I need a nap, a long nap. Um, okay, but we're gonna, we're gonna do this because people are still gonna show up and they're still depending on us to do what we do and to bring potatoes and carrots and onions and toilet paper and shampoo and soap and whatever else is on that list. And so if you think that you might be able to help out, I know that there are still a lot of blank items, um, things that need to be brought in. And I would be so grateful to not have to go to the store tomorrow and just have a day off. I am so looking forward to that. Um, if you're just like, ah, I can't go to the store and I can't get that to the church here on this ramp, before Tuesday morning. We also take financial donations for that. And then I just do an Instacart shopping trip and it works really well right from my computer. Um, and so if that's you, we're always grateful um, when you do that. So that's happening this coming Tuesday. If you wanna know what that list is and what you could contribute to that, um, you can text the word helping to the Brickview number and that should automatically send you that. Now, I just did a test run of it and there's a glitch with it right now and it is not giving you the right list, but I will see all of it and I will make sure that I forward you it by the end of church service today. So still use that word helping if it says bring them by June 13th, you have the wrong list and you won't be able to sign up for anything, but I promise you I'll get you a new one. All right, um, this coming Thursday as well, we are excited that um, the Frank family, Brenda, David, and their kids, Riley and Buddy, are gonna host a swim, um, swimming pool party, pool party and lawn games. Um, this coming Thursday, we'll start at three o'clock in hopes that it'll be warm and we can enjoy warmer weather for swimming. And then we'll provide some pizza and pop afterwards. So we don't know how long that'll go, um, but we can give you more details um, with that. You don't need to RSVP, but you do need this information. So if you haven't gotten it already, I've already given it to everyone that I think I have on the list. So if you don't know about it and you didn't get the information, Go ahead and email the church, email me, text me, reach out to Brenda, reach out to Emily Callen. She's also helping with that. Um, but middle schoolers and high schoolers, we want a chance to hang out with you. Um, we haven't had that yet, and so we're super excited to get to connect with you and connect you with each other. And um, the other thing is you have a connect card on your seat, and if you want to respond to anything this morning in any way, comments, if you have prayer needs, we know there's a lot that goes on in your lives throughout the week and things that are going on in your extended families. And we love the privilege and the honor of being able to go to God on your behalf and pray for you. 
And so we have a team of people that prays for you throughout the week. And so when you write those down on that card, um, we're praying for you. Um, you can drop those off at a basket on your way out of the door this morning. And if you're watching us online, just go to rookviewchurch.com and forward slash contact and fill out the online card. And we will pass everything off to where it needs to go as well. All right, soccer club. Yeah. Um, would you go ahead and stand up if you were involved in soccer club in any way? That includes shopping for store prizes, helping with our barbecue on Friday. Yeah, be bold. Nice. Let's give a huge round of applause. We had rain. We had sun. We had laughter. We had tears. Some of them were mine. <laughs> um, but it was a great week. And I think part of what made it a great week was being family together and being able to walk out this reality that we want to be about living love everywhere that we go. And to sit back from where I was, this view of watching 12 different fields, almost 200 kids, parents on the perimeter of a track, and just watch you truly love people in authentic ways. Like not that plastic, hi, everything's fine, but just really celebrating kids and loving families. It is something I am so proud of, and I'm so proud to be alongside of you guys as we serve God together in that way. So I put together a quick little um, slideshow that I want you to enjoy. I don't know what you've been
Feeling my way through the darkness Guided by a beating heart I can't tell where the journey will end But I know where to start They tell me I'm too young to understand They say I'm caught up in a dream Well, life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes So that's fine by me so wake me up when it's all over When I'm wiser and I'm older All this time I was finding myself And I didn't know I was lost So wake me up when it's all over When I'm wiser and I'm older All this time I was finding myself And I
I think that's the fullest we've ever seen church. <laughs> it was really cool, too, to celebrate the end of our week together with a barbecue and to invite them into this space, into our space, um, and make them feel at home here. So for those of you that worked so hard on that barbecue so that we could just come up here and eat, um, we fed over 300 people. Um, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, we have soccer club next year. Is it too soon to start talking about it? It's definitely too soon. But you can always mark your calendars for the second week in August, which I think this year is like the 5th through the 9th or 10th. So that's when soccer club 2024, God willing, will be. And we'll be excited to do it all over again. But for now, we're going to put it all away <laughs> and sleep really hard. But thank you. Thank you to everyone who made that possible. Thank you for your prayers and your support. up <laughs> so we're in this series thinking about the power of words thinking about how like how much who you are is the result of words through the years words spoken over you words spoken to you about you are words that have shaped you and they silhouette now what you see when you look in the mirror so with words we can we can build people up we can tear people down and so the theme of this whole series has been very simple because words are so powerful and because once they're out there, we can't pull them back. We should all be, do it with me, quick to listen, slow to speak. So in weeks one and two, we, we looked at an ancient uh, first century document written by James, right? Who is the brother of Jesus. How about that? Which is pretty cool. Today, we're going to hear from a different guy. Uh, we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. And as many of you know, Paul stepped onto the pages of history as Saul of Tarsus. That's how he was known. And when he first showed up in history, he was not a Christian. He was a devout Jewish man. In fact, he was a Pharisee, a highly educated Jewish leader. And he was so disturbed by this brand new Christian movement. This new movement that Jewish people were turning toward, he, this new movement based on a, a Jewish carpenter slash rabbi, he was so disturbed by what was happening that he decided he was just going to put an end to it. So he goes to the high priest in Jerusalem, and he gets permission to round up Christians wherever he can find them and bring them to Jerusalem and have them tried and tortured and punished and in some cases executed for their faith in Jesus. So that's Saul of Tarsus. And maybe you're like, you know, I don't know that I like Christians. You got something, you got something in common with Paul. So uh, he despised Christians. He, he wanted to get rid of all Christians everywhere. And so just a word here. Saul of, Saul of Tarsus is absolutely a historical person. 
Uh, there are no credible historians that doubt his historicity. But his story, how he went from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle, is just, it's fascinating. Um, and many of you know the story. Saul was on his way to Damascus to round up Christians. And on the road, he had an encounter that changed his life. He was knocked off his horse, and he became momentarily blind. And so you guys, I can totally relate <laughs> to Saul. Two weeks ago, I was blind, and I heard a voice say, Jason, Jason, no. Uh, but Saul had, a, Saul had this tangible interaction with the risen Jesus. And afterward, he did a complete 180 toward Jesus. So Saul, the Christian hunter, became the Apostle Paul. And instead of persecuting the church, he, he, he started churches all over the Mediterranean rim. He, all these different port cities all, all around the Mediterranean. So he would plant a new church, and after a while he would move to a new place, and then he would write letters to churches in places where he had been. And many of those letters have been preserved down through antiquity, not all of them. Uh, we know that there are some that he wrote that we don't have access to. But today we're going to read a passage from one of those letters. Um, it's a first century letter written by Paul to his friends in the city of Ephesus. And like James, Paul writes to these Christians about their mouths. And in, in Ephesians, Paul focuses on how positive words can be. And so before we get into Paul's application about words in our mouth, he, he lays a foundation of why this all matters so much. And he reminds the, the people in Ephesus of their own very strange and, and extreme faith journey. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start there for a little bit of context. So here we go. Paul is writing to people that mostly did not grow up Jewish. Okay, they grew up pagan, which is not a derogatory term. It was the classification of people that believe certain things that they used for themselves. And as citizens in Ephesus, most of them grew up worshiping like Greek and Roman gods, right? Zeus, Athena, Poseidon, gods and goddesses and all of that. That was the primary faith of Ephesus. So Paul begins the discussion with this. He writes, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So in referencing these particular Gentiles, he's talking about paganism. Worshippers of Aphrodite and Apollo and all that. What these Christians in Ephesus used to be. He's saying... Before you started following Jesus, you lived with a, like a pagan worldview. You saw the world in a certain way. And in talking about the, the, like this Gentile pagan culture of Ephesus, Paul continues. He says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, this can sound like a horrific insult, but really it's not. It's, it's like he's saying, the people you interact with every day in Ephesus, they don't know any better because they don't see the world the way you see the world. They don't know the love of God the way that you do. They're trying to make sense of things as they just sort of stumble around in the dark. And now let me explain why this is a big deal. The people of Ephesus worshipped Greek and Roman gods. They believed in this pantheon of gods, so many different gods. And so you might remember this from like middle school or high school, but the, the Greek and Roman gods were, they were all about themselves, right? They were petty, jealous, scheming, mean, and selfish. 
So the gods engaged in all kinds of crazy stuff. They, they toyed with people. They slept with each other, and they had affairs, and they had baby gods that had baby gods that had baby gods, and then they got in fights and wars with each other. The gods were a broken society of very powerful beings. And so if you were trying to become like the gods, it wasn't really all that hard because it was pretty much every man for himself. It was not so much every woman for herself because in that world, women had no rights. Like, right was determined by who had the might, and it was bad luck to be born poor. It was certainly bad luck to be born a woman, and it was bad luck to be conquered because it was a winner-take-all world. It was whoever had the power, the physical might overpowered those that did not. Now, where did people get those values? That's how their gods operated. Like, if you were a religious spiritual person, try to get your mind around this. If you were a religious spiritual person, it encouraged you to be selfish. So the Apostle Paul is writing to these ex-pagans, and he's saying, look, the world that you came from is very different from the world Jesus is inviting you to, to see and participate within. You, you still live within a pagan culture, like it's all around you, it's all that you've known and seen, but you're invited into something different, something beautifully selfless. So Paul continues describing the dark side of pagan values. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. So in pagan culture, they don't even attempt to have self-control. That's not even a virtue. When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to greed, it's just you take what you can get when you can get it, world. And so if you're poor or powerless, or you're a woman with no one to protect you, this is a brutal world for you to navigate. So to help us get the point that he's making, let me just kind of flip it around. As followers of Jesus, right, there's a certain morality associated with our faith. I mean, we understand that we should treat people a certain way. We don't always, but we know that we should. We should love our spouse and we should be faithful in marriage, and we should be generous, and we should care for the less fortunate. But in the pagan world, there was no morality associated with religion. There were no behavioral expectations regarding how we treat people. So Paul's not criticizing the people. He's just recognizing, hey, no wonder people in the culture behave the way they do. The reason they don't live the way we're trying to live is because they don't see the world the way that we see it. As pagans following the gods, it's just every man for himself. It's get what you can get. It's take advantage of women. It's try to get as much sexually as you can. Take advantage of the poor. Hoard as much wealth as you possibly can. Oppress those that you are able to oppress. Paul continues, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And he reminds them of this amazing journey that they've been on. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Like, hey, when I first came to you in Ephesus, I shared with you that Jesus is inviting you to take off that old self, that old way of thinking and behaving. Take it off like a jacket. 
You need to, to take it off because it's being corrupted by your deceitful desires. And that's really kind of an interesting phrase, deceitful desires. And I kind of like that phrase because it's something that I think we've all experienced. Many of us have felt it. We don't really have a good name for it. Like, you know what a deceitful desire is? It's, it's a desire inside you that promises one thing and then doesn't fulfill the promise. It's deceitful. And we've all had them. Um, you, you, you could all name a, a deceitful desire season in your life, right? You had a desire, and, and you chased the desire because there was a promise on the other end of the desire. And then you got what you wanted, or you got who you wanted, but the desire didn't keep its promise, right? That's a deceitful desire. And then when you didn't get what you want, the desire started whispering to you, next time. Next time, next time. It didn't work out this time, but that was his fault. Didn't work out this time, but that was her fault. Didn't work out this time, but that, that was their fault. But next time, next time, next time, just keep going after it. The Apostle Paul says, those are deceitful desires. And as a Jesus follower, you've been invited to take all of that off and put on something new. Think a new way, resulting in a new kind of life. Take off your old self he says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's saying God is inviting you to let him make you like him. And this is, this is an important idea because God, the God of Jesus, is, is not like the Greek and Roman gods. Jesus, Jesus revealed a selfless, humble God of compassion. So Paul is saying, when you embrace this new way of thinking, this new worldview, you will become not like the gods, okay, not like the gods, but like your Father in heaven, the God who, who loves you so much that he sent his Son into the world to show you what he's like and to sacrifice everything for you. And now you can be like him in righteousness, meaning you can share his passion for justice, his deep concern for the poor and the hurting and the oppressed and the broken. And you can be like him in his holiness. You can, you can leave behind this me first, step on others to get what I want way of living. The holiness of your father is, is not a holiness that runs and hides from broken people. It's, it's the kind of holiness that runs toward brokenness and engages it like Jesus. And he's like, do you see? So Paul just affirms what he's already taught them. It's a brand new world. It's a brand new day. And God is inviting us to participate in it. And then after this, he starts giving some application. And he talks about all kinds of different behaviors that would naturally flow out of this, what this new life looks like lived out in the real world. And one of the things that he discusses is how we use our words. Some of you are like, it took you that long to get there? I'm there. We're there, baby. <laughs> so the Ephesians ha have taken off the old self and the old way, the, the pagan way that's it's all about, it's all about me. It's my way, me, me, me. It's, it's greed, it's my satisfaction, it's my needs above yours. And begun to put on the, the, new, the new self, the way of Jesus, the way of self-control and restraint, humility, and most importantly, just love, serving others, blessing others, lifting others up. So here's, here's one of the ways he applies this big picture idea. Okay, he writes, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. 
So once you've put on this new way of living and, and thinking, allow it to influence and take over your words. The word, the word talk here, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The Greek word used by Paul for talk was the, the, just the word logos. Um, and some of you are familiar with that. It just means word. Word. <laughs> do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But the most interesting, I, I think the most interesting word in this whole phrase is the word unwholesome. Um, the little Greek word translated unwholesome in English is the Greek word that's used to describe spoiled and rotting fish or meat. Mm. You guys, there is, there is nothing quite like the smell of rotting meat, especially fish. So, okay, so when Jen and I were first married, we, we went camping with some friends in Winthrop. Have you ever been camping in Winthrop? Oh, man. So we decided, it was like three couples, it was three of us, and we decided it would uh, be fun to float the Metal River. Any of you floated the Metal River? Huh, you're less adventurous, I, I, I see. <laughs> well, to me, that sounded like that's going to be amazing, and, and, and it's going to be great, and it was miserable. Um, and here's why. It was Labor Day weekend, and it was end of summer, and the guy that always would go camping, he was like, we've got to float the Metal, it's great, but he had, not at the end of the summer. And he didn't really think about it. So at this point, the river was like barely creeping along. And so we parked the car several miles down the road thinking, you know, we'll get, we'll get down to the car in, in an hour, maybe two tops. So like six hours later, <laughs> we started at like three. It's like nine o'clock. And we're sitting in this freezing. I, it was just, it was snow not that long ago, right? <laughs> and you guys, we, we are, we're freezing. And so... And we realized you could get out of the river and walk to the car faster <laughs> than we were floating. And it was so shallow in some places, and we were in inner tubes that our butts were literally dragging across the rocks, um, and like on the riverbed. And so eventually we're like, that's it, we're getting out. We got out, and John was the guy that organized this whole thing. And we said, we're like, go get the car. And he actually literally hitchhiked to go get the car. And we, we'd been there a little longer than we thought we should be. We we're like, oh, we hope he didn't get kidnapped you know this could be bad for John but we need the car so so we waited like you know we waited like an hour for him to go get it and we're cold and we're wet and we're on the road and you guys this was 25 years ago and I remember it uh like it was yesterday but here's the thing not because of any of that um at, at one point so the current picked up a little bit, and we're like, yay, it's picking up. And then it just sort of pushed us into a, a shallow pool over by the bank where something reeked worse than anything that I've ever smelled. It was like, it was like you know the smell, something died. And the, the gag reflex was just in full effect for all of us. And so we're just, we're looking up on the shore. We're like, did somebody dump a body? And so we're all scanning, like, up on the shore, like, what the heck is that smell? And then one of the ladies saw it and screamed. And we all just about hurled because in the water, right next to us, was a gigantic rotting fish. So we're, we're all sitting in inner tubes in, in disgusting, bacteria-ridden, filthy 
rotting fish juice. You guys, is that not disgusting? Now, that's, that's actually not the picture. Um, I just Googled big dead salmon in a river. <laughs> and so, and I got that. Um, we, we don't have an actual picture uh, from that day for, for two reasons. Uh, first, we left that area as fast as humanly possible in a frenzy, in a panic, just like, oh. And we scrambled off and we found some fresh water and everyone's just like getting real vigorous with the cleaning, you know. Okay, but second, you guys, this was 1998. And for those of you uh, under 30, you're not gonna believe this. But none of us had cameras in our cell phones. Do you know why? None of us had cell phones. You guys, Jen and I are that old. So, but here's what I'll tell you. Our dead fish was every bit as disgusting as that. It will, I promise. And, oh, by the way, at soccer club this week, I'm just thinking about how old I am. I sat down, and I'm like, oh, you guys, I'm getting old. And they're like, well, how old are you? So I was like, oh, this, this is going to be fun trivia. I coach kids that had just finished first grade or second grade. And so I said, all right, who wants to guess how old I am? And so they all raised their hand. You guys, more than half of my kids had me somewhere in my 70s. <laughs> my gosh. So, just deflating the ego, you know? And some of you are like, okay, that's great. can you take the picture down? Yes, okay, <laughs> take the picture down. Okay, so back to Paul. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So it's like when you, when you speak unwholesome words, it's like, like, okay, unwholesome, rotten fish or meat. It's like you make everybody around you sit in a pool of rotten fish juice, right? Whether it's criticism or gossip or just like general crassness, Paul is, Paul is saying, you are in charge and I am in charge. Like my mouth is the gate and I'm the gatekeeper and I'm to stand guard over my mouth. And so when distasteful words rush to the gate, Paul's just saying, don't let them out. Now, okay, that's kind of negative. That's Paul saying what not to do. And we talked quite a bit about that kind of stuff last week, right? So I said to that today was going to be more positive. You're like, I thought it was going to be more positive. It's only going to be kind of more positive, but here we go. Okay, so next, Paul gives us a word picture about what we should do. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Now, it's so easy to hear a verse like that and go, really? Like, can I really live like that, like in the real world? This verse sounds so nice, so soft, so fluffy and, and gentle, and, and so Christian. It also can sound a little unrealistic, like in real life. I mean, can you, can you really live like that in our world? Like, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Can you, can you raise kids that way? Honey, it's not nice to see how many grapes you can stuff into your baby brother's mouth. But you look great doing it, sweetheart. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't certain things require some urgency? 
and some intensity? I mean, would this approach work? If you, if you manage people at work, would this work with some of your employees? Think of the one dude. <laughs> right? Imagine a performance review with that one dude, and you're like, hey, you know, if it's not too much to ask, if it doesn't trouble you or inconvenience you, could you try coming to work on time at least like once a week? So when, when Paul says, only use words that build others up, I just, want to cl- I just want to clarify. Paul is not saying that you can only say nice, sweet things to people. His main point here is, is a lot bigger than just be nice. He never says you have to always be nice. What he says is, I want you to be helpful. And sometimes being helpful means saying hard things. So while sometimes we we need to dial it back and we need to tone it down a little bit, sometimes what we actually need to do is to step up, right, and to say what needs to be said. Paul says, your words are to be helpful. They're to be helpful according to what the person you're talking to needs. So what does that person need? Do they need encouragement? Do they need somebody to listen? What do they need? Do they need correction? Do they need, what do they need to be built up? What do they need to flourish? What do they need to become the best version of them that they can be as God created them to be? What do they need? That's building people up. So Paul gives us like this construction picture here. He says we are to speak only what is helpful for building others up. It's like he's saying, okay, he, I want you to imagine that every conversation is like a construction site. And your words in that construction site are the building materials. In dealing with people that God loves, use every single word to build those people up. That way, when you leave the construction site, when you leave the conversation, they are better off, they are stronger, they're strengthened for having spent time with you. Now, I'll be honest, like, this is challenging, yes? This is hard. And for me, here's why. Because often in conversations, here's what I'm thinking about me. I want to be respected. I want to be known. I want to be heard. I I want to look impressive. I want to be funny. I want to be hilarious. I want to tell my story, make my point, get a word in. I want to have the last word. And, And if Paul were to see that, he'd say, Jason, it's not all about you. That's the way of people who worshiped Zeus and Apollos and Athena. That is not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of your heavenly father. Your father wants you to always leave people better off for having been with you. So learn to view people as a construction site and use your words as building materials. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, don't say something to someone, to someone that God loves that makes, that makes God go, oh no, why would you say that? I, I, I'm trying to build that person up, and you just used words that undermine what I'm trying to do. You're not building. You're coming in with a wrecking ball. You're demolishing. Why would you do that? And then it, it's like the Apostle Paul pauses, and he thinks, you know what? I think some of the folks I'm writing to are, are going to struggle with this, maybe for reasons they don't even understand. Stuff is is going on inside of them that's undermining all of this, and they may not even realize it. So, So Paul dives deeper into what's often going on in our hearts. Why is it that we so often can say things and then think, like, whoa, 
Where in the world did that come from? Why did I react to her that way again? Why did I, react to, why did I treat him that way uh, again? What's, what's wrong with me? Like, what, what's going on inside me? And so Paul dives deeper into the human condition, and he says, if you want to be a builder instead of going around demolishing people, there's something you're going to have to deal with inside of you. And there's actually a whole bunch of things inside of us we're going to have to deal with, but he names one of them. He continues, he says, get rid of all bitterness. Now, the Greek phrase translated get rid of, it doesn't just mean stop. It's actually a more active word picture. It means to pack it all up, to like put it in a bag, to take it out to the street, and to leave it. Okay, this is, this is the word that you would use for what you would do with your trash when you're getting rid of you pack it. You pack it up and you toss it out. And so Paul says, I want you to pack up anything that has to do with your bitterness and walk it out the front door, take it to the garbage dumpster on the street, and leave it. You've got to get rid of it. Because if you don't, your bitterness will show up in everything you do. It'll show up in what you say. Or just as importantly, it'll show up in how you say it. So you, you can't be a builder if you're bitter. Because your bitterness will eventually seep into your words. It'll seep into your tone, your volume, your attitude, your sarcasm. Bitterness affects the words and the tone of everything that you say. And you, we all know the, the antidote for bitterness, right? You don't need me to tell you, but let me remind you. Here's what it is. Forgiveness. Because where does bitterness come from? Well, most of the time, for most of us, here's where it comes from. It comes from words that are spoken to us, over us, or about us. And so maybe you grew up in a home where, where you were rarely praised. That's a lot of you. Like you were, you were desperate for a positive remark from your mom or your dad. Just one, somewhere, please. And even if they were positive for a moment, there seemed to always be a, a kind of a cruel, critical barb attached to it. This sense that even though you did this pretty well, you're still not really measuring up in some way. Or maybe you come out of a marriage, you came out of a marriage where it was just like you couldn't do anything right. Words were, were used to put you down, put you down, put you down. And they were used again and again to take from you. They took your confidence. They took your reputation. They took your dreams. They took your self-respect. And so now we, we come into new relationships, a new season of life, and we're all dealing with wounds from the past, and we bring all of that hurt, all of that bitterness right on into our current relationships. And that junk affects what we say, and it affects how we say it the words we choose, or the tone we use. But it also affects, you guys, and this is what's really crazy, it affects the words that we refuse to say. The kinds of words that, that could be used to build somebody up, the kinds of words the people we love now are desperate to hear. But our anger or our pride or our bitterness won't let us say them. And often what's going on underneath the surface is people are, are wrestling with bitterness People wrestling with bitterness are trying to pay people back that, that never did anything to them because they can't pay, pay the person back who wounded them. You guys, we, we, what we happens is we take our pain out on the innocent, right? Paul says, you can't be a builder if you're bitter. Somehow we have to find a way to let go of old bitterness. Why? I mean, because you, you go, well, why? why? Why should I do that? I mean, the other person doesn't deserve it right? 
They haven't apologized. They haven't acknowledged what they did. So, I mean, if you're like me, this is how I feel. I'm like, I have a right to be angry and bitter and upset and mad at everybody all the time. But is that a right that you, you want to assert? You want to live that way? I mean, what do you get out of that? This is Jesus. This is why Jesus is calling us into something different, something new. And when it comes to bitterness over old wounds, forgiveness, here's what forgiveness is in this, in this sense. It's giving someone from the past what they don't deserve so you can give someone in the present what they do deserve. Like if you're a parent, you got to deal with bitterness. If you're, if you're like in a second marriage or you're a single parent, you got to deal with your bitterness. Because if you're not careful, what, what was taken from you by someone else, you will pay back in the relationships that you're now in. Right now, it's your friends or your, your new spouse or your kids or your grandkids. It's everybody. Paul says, this is a really big deal. You cannot be a builder if you're bitter. And bitterness that hangs around, if we let it hang around, it tends to escalate. So Paul continues, get rid of all bitterness. And then it, like here, here it is escalating. Rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Bitterness that doesn't get taken to the curb causes a mess. And all of us have been victims of this stuff to some degree. We all have. Bitterness, anger, rage, gossiping. You ever had somebody gossip about you? All kinds of meanness. But it's like, it's like Paul is pleading here. He's like, you have, you've not been called to treat people the way that you've been treated. You're being invited now to treat people the way God in Christ has treated you. So he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The essence of what Paul is urging here is the old rule, right? Do unto others as God in Christ has done unto you. And what has God done unto me? Well, in all my brokenness and all my shame, God has forgiven me. And he's healing me, and he's restoring me, and he's building me up. And he's telling me who I am day after day after day, and it's different from what I'm hearing from most of the world. And now he's asking me to take that grace and extend it to those around me. And that must affect the words that I use. Paul is saying, speak unto others as God in Christ has spoken unto you. Can you, can you imagine what would happen like in all of our relationships, if this became the norm? Can you imagine if this characterized, if this just characterized the way that we speak to each other all the time? If we allowed God's grace to, to, to us to shape all of our words to others, if we viewed every word as construction material and every person we encounter as a construction site? Now, I'm gonna, to close, I'm going to read verse 29 one more time, but I, I, wanna, I want this to, as much as possible, hit home and be personal for you. And so before I, I read it, I want to just ask two questions. And the first is this. Where do you have work to do? When it comes to bitterness, when it comes to words, where do you have work to do? Where is, where is bitterness tending to seep out of you? And the second question is even more personal. Who hopes you'll get to work soon? You know what's sad about the second question is that here's what just, this is, this is what sucks. It's the people closest to us 
that we tend to let our guard down with and hurt the most. And it's also the people closest to us that are most dependent on us. They, 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 are the, they are the very people that are most dependent on us building them up because no one else is going to do it. We're the ones close to them. Like if you're, if you're a husband, nobody can build up your wife like you can. You don't want somebody coming in and building up your wife like you can, right? If you're a mom or a dad, nobody else can pour into your child the way that you can. And conversely, if you're somebody's daughter or, or son, no one can build into your mom or dad like you. Like as parents, right, those of us, our words from our kids, they matter. They matter a whole lot. They're powerful to us in a unique way. Like if you have a best friend, she needs you. Like if you have a brother, he needs you. So our, our words carry the most weight to the people closest to us. Every word we say and every word we refuse to say. So where do you have work to do? And who hopes you'll get to work soon? Again, Paul gives us such practical picture of what it is to live well. Treat every person in your life as a construction project and recognize that every word from you is construction material. It will make your life better and it will make you better at life. Where do you have work to do and who hopes you'll get to work soon? You guys, we've all been hurt by people in our past. But now we've got eyes on us, right? Eyes of the innocent who didn't have any part of that. And you have somebody that's looking to you. You probably have a lot of somebody's looking to you. What are you going to do? Where do you have work to do and who hopes you'll get to work soon? Paul writes, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Where do you have work to do? Who hopes you'll get to work soon? And I just, I want to close this message just by recognizing, my guess is that every single one of us in here, we want to build up the people we love, right? I hope you're not sitting here going, no, I can't wait to get out here and tear them down. We, we, we want to build up the people we love. We do. And yet, if, if you're like me, it can be like, dang it, right? Like, why, why did I say that? Why did I lash out like that? Why, why can't I, I seem to say the words that, that I know that they're desperate to hear? Why do I hold that stuff back? What is, what's going on in me? And it's just like, God, help me. And the cool thing is when we say, God, help me, God's like, yes, I've been waiting for you to ask. God help me. Paul said the first step to this whole thing is pretty simple. Get rid of all bitterness. And this morning, I just want to invite you to do something symbolic. Something to maybe, maybe for you it would, could be used to sort of kickstart the process of getting rid of bitterness and of inviting God into this whole thing with you. Um, on your seat when you came in, there's a little sheet of blank paper. And so as we worship, I just want you to, I, I want to invite you to write something on it. I want to invite invite you to answer this question. What was taken from me that I'm trying to get others to pay back? And I, and I want you to write that down. Maybe it was your dignity, maybe it was hope, maybe it was dream. What was taken, what was taken from me that I'm, I'm trying to get others to pay back? Maybe it was a whole slew of things. And I, I want you to write that down. Like, 
What was taken from me at that, at that other job? What, what was taken from me in my previous marriage? What was taken from me by my dad? What was taken from me by my mom? What was taken from me growing up? And, and then th- that I now find myself trying to like extract from the people around me. What do I think someone owes me that I'm trying to get other people that I'm trying to get other people to pay me back? I'm trying to get my kids, my husband, my wife, my friends to pay back a debt they don't even owe. Like I just want you to write that down and then I want you to symbolically get rid of it. Like take it to the trash. And so I'm going to invite you at any point during worship. We're going to sing I think four-ish songs together. And I just I'm going to put a trash can right here in the front. And I want to invite you to just walk up, to write that down, walk up, crumple that sucker up tight and throw it in the garbage and let it go. Because it's time for you to be set free. It's time, it's time for you to be a builder. None of us can be builders if we're bitter. God's inviting you to let it go and get rid of it. And so maybe this morning you can kind of kickstart that. So I want to, to close, I just want to invite you to close your eyes and let me read some words over you. These, these are a prayer from Paul to the Ephesians, and they come in chapter 3. We've been looking at chapter 4, but right before this, he wrote a beautiful prayer for the Ephesians. And so as the musicians come up, I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and I want to read Paul's prayer over you. He writes, My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.